Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn them to the book of Philemon. We're in the last section of this book. We've spent the last two weeks going through this short letter of Paul to his good friend Philemon. We're gonna be looking at verse 17 to 24. If you're having trouble finding it in, in the Pew Bible, it's on page. It doesn't have page numbers in my Pew Bible, that's okay. <laughs> You can look it up in the table of contents. It's sandwiched right between Titus and Hebrews. It's one page, and you can, we'll be looking at verse 17 to the end of the letter. Uh, one thing that I enjoy watching on YouTube is cooking tutorials. I know Anthony, Anthony and I have talked about this at one point while we're setting up here one morning. Natalie would say that it has not improved my cooking at all. To her, I respond, burnt is but a spice. But the reason I enjoy watching is because they're able to take all these scattered ingredients and they lay them all out on the table. They're in their own individual glass bowls. They put them all together and out pops this beautiful meal. See, this is what Paul does in this letter. So far from verse one to 16, Paul has just been laying out on the table all of these discrete ingredients or different truths. See, in verse one to seven, he tells Philemon that the Christian faith produces love and commitment towards the saints. And then in verse eight to 16, Paul presents Onesimus, a former unbelieving slave who by God's kind providence has been transformed by the gospel into a fellow brother and coworker for the gospel. Onesimus is a saint now. So he's presenting all of these truths. But now in verse 17, Paul pulls all of these truths together and presents his ask. See, not once throughout verse one to 16, and you can check me on this, Paul never asks for anything. Verse one to 16, he's just telling Philemon what has happened. He's hinting at different truths. But now in verse 17, Paul, after telling Philemon wisely, patient, tactfully setting up for the big ask, in verse 17 says, receive him as you would receive me. What we see Paul doing as he pulls together all of these truths from verse one to 16 into this call to action as he presents it then to Philemon is that Paul isn't a man where the gospel is just theory. But the gospel has taken root in his life and has produced in the life of Paul Christian love. See, love for Philemon and love for Onesimus. What we should see from the example that Paul sets for us here in verse one to verse 17 to the end of this letter is that Christian love is not hidden. Christian love is public. In fact, it's this, Christian love moves us to action. 
Christian love moves us to action, and that's what we're gonna see this morning. And if you uh, are ready, if you're turned to the, to the passage, I invite you to stand with me as we read today's passage. So Paul's letter to Philemon, starting in verse 17. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so, so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that every time it is read that you are speaking to us. And Lord, we pray that your spirit would attend to the preaching of your word this morning, that you would accompany your words to the hearts of your people, that we would hear what you want us to hear. We are people hungry and needy for a meal from you. So I pray that my words would fall away and that your words would be carried by your spirit into the hearts of your people to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Lord, you are worthy of all of, of our lives. Would you have us speak to us this morning, we pray in Christ's name, amen, amen. You may be seated. Like condensation on a cold drink on a hot day, Christian love is all over this passage. See, Paul, in his appeal to Philemon, helps us answer this question. What does Christian love look like? What does Christian love look like? And the first answer is this. Christian love receives the wrongdoer. Christian love receives the wrongdoer. Look at verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. See, Paul reminds Philemon of a truth that he has already said. See, when he says, if you consider me a partner, that word partner would have brought Philemon's mind all the way back to verse six. Remember that very difficult verse that we spent time on two weeks ago? Partnership, the, the sharing of your faith. It's the same idea. Paul is saying, if we have any mutual participation in the faith that we say that we have in common, then you will receive Onesimus. Now, Paul isn't doubting Philemon's sharing in the faith. No, what he has done already, remember, Paul has given thanks to God for his great faith and love towards all the saints, how Philemon regularly refreshes the hearts of the saints. So Paul isn't doubting here. What he is doing is that he's telling Philemon, I've heard about it. I've heard about it, but now show me. Show me your love. Paul is putting pressure on Philemon to live out the reality of the faith that he claims that he has. And now, 
providentially, the return of Onesimus is the opportunity for Philemon to publicly and practically display and exercise his faith and display Christian virtue and love. Brothers and sisters, this serves as a reminder to us that difficult people or hard situations in God's providence kindly are brought into our lives for our good because God is using it for our sanctification. See, it's an opportunity. Every hard thing is an opportunity for us to exercise our faith, to depend on the Spirit, to demonstrate love and to extend grace to others, the grace that we have so freely received in Christ Jesus. So this is what Paul is telling, telling Philemon. He tells Philemon, receive Onesimus back. Welcome him. Not just back into your household as a servant, but as a brother in Christ. And now look at the way that Paul tells Philemon, the manner in which Onesimus should be received. Verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as how? As you would receive me, as you would receive Paul the apostle, receive Onesimus, really? The runaway slave who took his master's money likely and wronged him in some sort of way, receive him as you would receive Paul? See, Paul credits Onesimus, his own reputation, his own status, his own honor. Paul is telling Philemon, when you see Onesimus, see me. Friends, this is what Christ does for us in the gospel. Because of our sin and our rebellion, we have been estranged from our benevolent creator with no hope of being welcomed back by our own own merit. But because of Jesus Christ, because of the gospel, he so identifies with his people who have rested in him in faith that when God sees us, he sees his son. We are received by God, welcomed into his family because we have been hidden in Christ and clothed in his righteousness. It is because we we are received because in the way Jesus is received, that's the reason why we can have confidence that God will never turn us away. Because we are received in the way Jesus is received, that's a confidence we have that God will always hear our prayers, that it will never fall on deaf ears. It's a confidence, it's a reason for the confidence that we have that God will never abandon us. Now Philemon is able to do this impossible task of receiving Onesimus back and treating him like the Apostle Paul because Onesimus, because like Onesimus, Philemon was welcomed by God and treated like Jesus. Philemon can show Christian love and receive the wrongdoer because God, who Philemon had wronged, displayed love on the cross and received him. Paul goes on though, verse 18. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. What does Christian love look like? Well, Christian love bears the cost. Christian love bears the cost. 
Like a hardworking farmer who prepares a field by uprooting rocks and taking away roots so that it can be ready for seeding, Paul prepares the field, removes all obstacles so that the seed of reconciliation can bear fruit between Onesimus and Philemon. Because Paul knows receiving back a runaway slave is already an impossible task. In the Roman world, it was unheard of. What he's asking Philemon to do is already hard enough. So Paul does what he can to make obedience on the part of Philemon easy. See, this is a great word for parents, for leaders, for employers. A a word to, to do what we can to make the obedience of those who follow us easy and joyful. Remove distractions, remove barriers, remove hurdles, all these extra steps. Now that might mean more work for you, but do it so that obedience on the part of those who follow you is easy, that it's a joy for them to do the right thing, that it becomes natural. So Paul, wanting this for Philemon, says that anything Onesimus owes Philemon, charge it to his account, that he will pay it. See, the same way Onesimus takes on Paul's reputation, status, and honor, Paul takes on Onesimus's debt. Friends, this is what Jesus has done for you and I in the gospel. This is our story as well. Not only were we estranged and alienated from God because of our sin and rebellion, no, the just demands of the law demanded death. A penalty that we could not pay. A penalty we could never pay. But at the cross, Jesus Christ says, charge it to my account. He takes on our sin, our debt, and through his suffering and his death on the cross, he pays that debt in full. See, we are received by God We are received in the way that Christ is received because Jesus was treated the way we should have been treated. See, this is called the great exchange. And Paul later in another letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our sin was charged to Christ's account and his righteousness was credited to ours. As one hymn puts it, because the sinless savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just was satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And just like we we just sang a few moments ago, Jesus paid it all, so all to him I owe. Jesus said, charge it to my account, pays the debt in full. So our response, the rest of our lives is this joyful overflow for what Christ has done. Not as duty to earn something, it's already been paid. But as thanksgiving and gratitude to a God who has been so abundantly gracious to us and received us in Christ. We are reconciled to the Father because Christ has paid our debt. What Paul is doing between Onesimus and Philemon is what the Savior has done for him. We can bear the cost for others because Jesus has done it for us, amen? 
And for Paul, let's be clear, the offer to pay Onesimus' debt aren't empty words. Look at verse 19. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. See, what Paul is doing here, he's taking the pen from his secretary's hand and writing his signature. He's giving Philemon a legally binding IOU. Philemon can take this promise to the bank, literally. It was legal. He signed, signed Onesimus' debt to himself. But Paul doesn't expect Philemon will actually do this. Why? Well, look at the rest of verse 19 to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. In a single verse, Paul goes from a debtor to the one who is owed. What does Philemon owe? His whole life. See, through Paul's faithful gospel ministry, Philemon had found spiritual life. See, in the gospel, Philemon had found that his own eternal and infinite debt against the king of creation had been canceled. It had been satisfied and paid in full in the cross of Jesus Christ. And Paul was the messenger that brought the gospel to him. He owed Philemon his life. See, what Onesimus owed Philemon was earthly and temporary and just monetary in value. But what Philemon owed God and through Paul's ministry was spiritual, eternal, and infinite. So when he signs Onesimus' debt to Paul's ledger, it fades away because he owes him his whole life. Philemon can bear the cost himself and clear Onesimus because Philemon's own debt had been cleared, canceled, and borne by Christ a much greater cost than his. Brothers and sisters, we are able to do the same thing. We are able to extend this supernatural grace to others when we understand the debt that we have been, the debt that we have incurred for ourselves. The debt and the penalty that we have built up for our sin and rebellion. And the life then that was offered to us at Christ's expense when we realize the value of that, there is no limit to the grace that we can extend to others. Because nothing, nothing comes close, nothing rivals the gift of grace that God has given to us in Christ Jesus. Our sin was greater, and so we can extend grace to others. So Paul summarizes his ask of Philemon. Look at verse 20. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So Paul, pulling all of the threads of this letter together, asks for Philemon to do what he's already been doing for the saints. Remember earlier in verse seven, he refreshes the hearts of the saints. Paul says, do that for me too. How can Philemon do this for Paul? By receiving, welcoming, forgiving, and reconciling with Onesimus, who is, according to verse 12, Paul says, his very heart. Philemon can refresh the heart of Paul by forgiving Onesimus. Now, a principle that we see here 
is that the benefits and the blessings of reconciliation do not just extend to the two parties involved, the offender and the offended. No, no, the joy of reconciliation spills over into the covenant community. Paul is, uh, is a third party. He's just trying to resolve this issue, but it refreshes his heart. What we see is that when we reconcile with a brother and sister, it doesn't just end there. The joy spills over to your other brothers and sisters. Alternatively, what that means is that when we hold off on reconciliation, when we hold on to bitterness, when we withhold forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, I know it's difficult, but when we do that, it doesn't just affect you. It doesn't just affect you and the offended party or you and the offender. No, it spills over and creates tension and and disunity in the body of Christ. How we reconcile with one another in a way that leads to unity blesses the church. See, that's what the psalmist says in Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. That's not something that just happens. It's work being put in that we're reconciling regularly with one another. The word is, if you have Unforgiveness. If there's a brother and sister here that you have yet to get right with, the word is that you are holding back joy from the rest of your covenant community. Get right with them and watch how joy spills over into the rest of the church. It blessed Paul to see two other brothers reconciled. Now, Paul, having concluded this big ask, doesn't stop displaying Christian love. Look at verse 21. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. See, Paul, what does Christian love look like? What what is he showing us here? Christian love hopes for the best. Christian love hopes for the best. See, Paul has no doubt in his mind what Philemon will do. He knows that Philemon will do what he asks because he knows the kind of man that Philemon is. He's heard of his great faith and love how he refreshes regularly the hearts of the saints and how he points love towards all the people around him. So Paul trusts and believes and hopes for the best in Philemon. How this then instructs us is that the way Paul sees Philemon is the way that we should see our brothers and sisters. Paul trusts that the same spirit that saved him and is sanctifying him has saved Philemon and is sanctifying Philemon. The same way Paul sees Philemon is the way that we should look at our brothers and sisters, that we trust that the same spirit is working in all of us, bringing us slowly but surely towards holiness and glory, that we are being sanctified. So as we encourage or correct and instruct one another, we are patient and we also trust for and hope for the best in each other because we know that sanctification is a long and slow work and it's not done until we reach glory. But we trust that because we have trusted in Christ and because the spirit is in us, we are all growing in obedience. And so we show each other grace. We show each other obedience. Paul is confident, not only that Philemon will do what he asks, 
But what does he say? Even more than I say. This is the reason why Paul can be so bold in asking for something that is unheard of. Paul is the kind, Philemon, sorry, is the kind of man who does, he goes over and above what is asked. And so Paul, knowing this about Philemon, can trust that Philemon will receive this unheard of ask. Christian brother and sister, we have that same confidence, do we not? When we come before God and bring our request, we bring it before a God who is, as Paul says, able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Just like Philemon, greater than Philemon, God does over and above. That's why we can be bold with our requests. There's nothing that is too big for God. There's no request that we can wonder, is this something God can handle? God can do it. He can do far more above and beyond what we can ask or think. And we can trust then when we bring those things, bring those prayers and requests and petitions before God that he will answer us. He will answer us in a way that brings him the most glory and for our greatest good. Now Paul is confident not only that Philemon will obey and go above and beyond, but he's also confident in the way that Philemon prays. Look at verse 22. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Paul is trusting that in God's providence, through the prayers of Philemon and the church in his house, that Paul will be released from prison. Friends, it's worth clarifying what Paul ultimately puts confidence in. Paul is ultimately putting confidence in not Philemon and the church to pray, but in the power of God. See, God works, though, through means. That's what Paul is showing us here. Paul is confident in the power of God, but he knows that God is working through means. God works and delivers through the persistent prayers of his people. This is an encouragement to us to never give up in prayer because we trust not in the power of our prayers, but in the power of the one who answers our prayers. And so we can continue to bring our requests to him and trust him and know that he will answer in his way, in his time, for his glory and for our good. Paul is so confident, though. He's so confident and so hopeful that God will deliver him through the prayers of his friends. He says, get a room ready. I'm going to see you very soon. And then he ends his letter by sending greetings from those who are with him. Look at verse 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. See, there's a few ways that this list of names instructs us. So often we look at the, the, the genealogies or the list of names at the end of Paul's letters and we quickly pass over them, but there's much instruction for us. And so I wanna show us a few ways that this list of names encourages us. Well, first, this is a list of both the Gentile and Jewish names all mixed together. Paul is setting by example in his closing greetings that, that the gospel brings people together. 
It has reconciled people who have nothing in common except their faith in Christ Jesus. It has brought enemies together and made them friends. The gospel is able to do that. The second way it encourages us is that it shows us that Paul isn't a one-man team. He worked closely with many people. All of these people were essential for the propagation of the gospel message. So brothers and sisters, if you are part of this church body, if God has brought you here and made you part of this body, the word is that you are indispensable for the health and mission of this church. The gospel goes forward through the corporate mission of the church. Paul was not a one-man team. Thirdly, Paul lived out what he preached. There's one name that we need to pay attention to there, and that's Mark. That name should remind us of a falling out that Paul himself had with another individual. See, in the, in, in the, uh, the Acts of the Apostle in Luke's recording, Mark, who is the author of the gospel, travels with Barnabas and Paul, but midway deserts the mission. He abandons Paul and Barnabas. And later on, when Paul and Barnabas want to go on another trip, Barnabas wants to bring Mark again, give him a second chance, but Paul doesn't. The hurt that Mark had caused was so deep and the disagreement was so big that the only way to move forward was for Paul and Barnabas to split up. But we see here, by God's kind providence, that Mark is with Paul again. We don't know how Paul and Mark reconcile, but we do know that they did reconcile. What they have done is what Paul wants Philemon and Onesimus to do. The word is that Christians can hurt each other deeply. But there is no relationship, though it might take many years, that is beyond repair. By the grace of God, they are brought back together. And by the grace of God, we can repair the relationships that are broken as well. But finally, this list also warns us. Because there are some who, like Mark, abandon and desert at the beginning, but who will, at the end, stand with God's people reconciled. But then there are others who are with God's people now who will, in the end, abandon and desert. Because there's one other name that we need to pay attention to, and that's Demas. Here he is called a fellow worker. But Paul, not long after, writes to Timothy and says this, Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me. John Calvin helps explain this to us here, how it applies. He says, if one of Paul's assistants became weary and discouraged and was afterwards drawn away by the vanity of the world, let none of us rely too much on our own zeal, lasting even one year. But remembering how much of the journey still lies ahead, let us ask God for steadfastness. The warning here is that we cannot presume on our own strength. We cannot presume on our past faithfulness. We must pray for steadfastness. We need to be dependent on the Spirit. We need to live every day our lives marked as dependent on God's grace. And that's how Paul ends the letter, verse 25. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
The letter started with grace, if you remember. Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Fa- Lord Jesus Christ. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The, Lord, the letter started with grace and now ends with grace. Paul is communicating here that all of that which he has asked is only possible with the grace of God. The grace of God that is made available to us is what brings us into the faith, sustains us in the faith, and will preserve us in the faith until we get home to glory. Only grace can do that. It's only God's grace that enables Philemon to do what is impossible, to receive Onesimus. It is only grace that enables Philemon, Paul, Onesimus, us, to love in a uniquely Christian way. A love, as we said, a Christian love that moves us to action. See, what Paul shows us here is that this is love on display. This is what Christian love looks like. A love that is motivated and fueled by the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are only able to love like this, a Christian love that receives the wrongdoer, a love that bears the cost, a love that hopes for the best. We're only able to do that because God in Christ first loved us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time that we could spend in your word. Lord, we thank you for how you instruct us and how there's so much for us even in a small letter like Philemon. That your word is rich with instruction, rich with with what it tells us about you and what you have accomplished for us in Christ and how it instructs us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we pray that this morning that you would take the word and that you'd plant it deep in us that it would bear fruit in our lives a love that, that receives the wrongdoer, a love that bears the cost, a love that hopes for the best, a love that moves us to action towards those around us because we have seen and tasted the love of Christ, that in the cross we have been received and we have been welcomed and reconciled far beyond anything we could extend to others. So we pray that your grace would be the motivation. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and respond as we sing. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.